My next guest is one of America's leading gearheads, a gadget expert, one of the stars of America's Test Kitchen, and co-author of a new book, Kitchen Gear, The Ultimate Owner's Manual. We are going to visit with Lisa McManus. Lisa, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a fun book, although I have to say, the second it came in, my wife kind of grabbed it away from me, who is the biggest Test Kitchen fan if not in our household, if not in the city, at least in the state. <laughs> That's so great. Well, I think it's got something for everybody, so uh, I'm hoping everybody can enjoy it. Well, that's our favorite part of the program, too, is, is watching the gadgets. And we will research past episodes if we're looking for a particular item. I have bought several based on the recommendations. Oh, that's so great. Well, you know, we do have a website, americastestkitchen.com, that has all of our reviews from, you know, all the way back. Yeah. And so anytime you need that information, you can also just look up the review and it's all written out and you see pictures and ratings and we try to tell you what we did and what won and what lost and why. Um, we think the why part is really important because yeah. that gives you the power to understand what's going on and you're in control. So when you understand why a piece of kitchen equipment works or doesn't work, you can make decisions about using it and you're more in control than if you just are handed something that we say, oh, we like this one the best, you know, it's pink or something. It's, that's, yeah. that's not why we choose things. We go for function and then, you know, ease of use and ease of maintenance. And I like that it's not just, you know, expensive gadgets. You go for a budget range. But even so, sometimes we're not talking about appliances. You'll, you'll go down to like, a, and have it in this book, you're like the best spatula. And you don't think, why do I need a recommendation on that? It's like, you absolutely do, because it can make a huge difference. Absolutely. I mean, I even had a little trouble back in the day when I first proposed a story on spatulas. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, well, now. And I'm like, no, 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 at home, I go through like four of them until I find the one that I want to use that moment. And I want to understand that. And I want a better selection. Obviously, I don't have the right spatulas. So I really wanted to look into that. And we did some, we've done lots and lots of spatula reviews at this point. Um, but I've been here since 2006. Wow. And so I've had a lot of time to cover anything I'm curious about. That's the real fun part about this job. How do we know if we've got like an investment piece? Like I would like to buy one set of, of cookware and you know, use it for the next 10, 15 years. But I feel like sometimes you're you're rebuying it every few years or so. Yeah, no, really. And one thing to really think about is, you know, we all tend to want a cookware set or a knife set. We want them to match. We think someone wiser than us has chosen the right pieces. Yeah. Not really. Those are made for the retailers. They're made, they'll say, we want the most number of pieces for the lowest price. And what you end up getting are these pans or knives that are small because metal costs money. So you get like an eight inch skillet instead of a 12 inch skillet. Um, we find a 12 inch is kind of standard. Even if you're cooking for just two people, you need room for food to spread out. If it's piled up, it steams. That's how you get, you know, a golden crisp chicken breast versus a piece of gray rubber <laughs> you know you want space right. things need room so they make everything smaller so that you can make more pieces and the lids count as pieces right and so it sounds like you've got 14 pieces for some low price and what you've got is about four pans and they're kind of suboptimal sizes and we also find that oftentimes 
not every cookware manufacturer makes the best of every kind of pan or knife. So we don't really love saying buy everything from this one place. We really believe in a la carte. And also it's, it's better for you. You pick just the pieces you're going to use for the way you cook. And it's the best of its kind in that category. And then you add on to that. I mean, you can't be too obsessed by everything matching. It's really about function. Yeah, I like that a la carte to kind of do individual pieces because you're right. I will get the set, and I don't. To me, the eight inch skillet is passive aggressive. Like I can barely do a grilled cheese in that thing. <laughs> yes, your spatula has trouble getting under the right. food without breaking it up. I mean, there's a purpose. So those are great if you're going to toast a few spices, or you know, I you know, if you're really one person and you're making one hamburger or something, sure. But honestly, I I even find a ten inch is a little cramped now. I like a 12-inch skillet. I want to spread out the food. I want that browning. I want that evaporation so we don't get rubbery steamed food. And honestly, you can always cook less in a big pan, but you can't cook more in a little pan. Yes. You know, even with boiling over, people talk about boiling over food in a saucepan. If your pan is large enough and there's some room for that expansion, it's never going to boil over. So go big. <laughs> Now, when you are considering that we need a, a, a review this episode, we're going to review this particular product, then what, what is the, the process? Does someone actually go out and, and, and purchase all of these? Yeah. I mean, unlike some other review sites, we buy every product we test at retail. We get it the way everybody else gets it. We either order it online or we go to a store. Uh, we look at what's available when someone is looking for something in that particular category, and we'll pick a number of items, maybe 10 or 12 in that category. And then we think about how do we use that item? What do our recipes call for? Um, what are the common things people do with that piece? And then we will pick, we write out our testing protocols. They can be like 12 pages long, single spaced, every wow. detail of how we're going to test. And our whole team reviews it and makes suggestions and says, you know, this test might be better than that one. Or these two tests are kind of getting at the same question maybe you could do one of them and we will look through and we will sit there and make every single say it's a skillet we'll turn the burner on the same temperature we will put each skillet through the same paces we'll get the food all prepared we'll make sure it's all the same food we won't finish one bottle and open another of some ingredient we'll make sure it's all the same so there's no change except that one piece of cookware and then we will make that same recipe over and over just changing out the pan and try to observe what, what makes it easier, what makes it harder. Does this handle get hot? Does this one stay cool? Is it heavy and awkward to handle? Um, does the food cook properly? Is it crowded? Is stuff falling over the sides? Um, is it lost in there? You know, it's, a, it's just a process of really observing and taking lots of notes. And then we go through several different recipes with each piece of cookware. We'll try to use something with a skillet. We'll do it on the stove that goes into the oven. Um, so that transfer into the oven, sometimes when the handle is very vertical on a skillet, it's poking up into the broiler and you're trying to put it yes. in the oven to brown the top and you have to pick it back out of the broiler. That's tricky at the end, you know, so you don't want to, all those things you don't notice till you're doing the work and we don't want you to discover it at home that it doesn't work. We want to find out here. Some of the reviews you do, and you'll have the, the products, and talking about some of them, and I do wonder, how did some of these even make it to market? <laughs> we wonder that, too. I think sometimes 
they don't use them after they make them. Uh, they don't think of the way people really use them. They might have some fantasy about it. They may have had to cut costs when they were making it. Um, that I've had product engineers tell me that. <laughs> they said, well, we had to make it plastic instead of metal or whatever. And, you know, they'll sort of grumble silently. But, you know, we don't really, most people don't have access to those engineers. And so, you know, we... We understand it can happen. They, they don't always make a perfect product, but we want to find something that's going to work and it's going to last. So even with the cookware, when we're done with all the cooking tests, we will look at that metal, we'll look at the composition, we'll learn everything we can, we'll measure everything about it, we will try to abuse it. Um, people take a hot skillet and run it under the cold tap and get that spectacular plume of steam and hissing. It's pretty fun. It's super <laughs> bad for your pan. You're going to warp it. So we do that on purpose. I heat every pan to 500. I plunge it into a bucket of ice water. And then I take it outside and I hit it on the side of a concrete block three times. And that will tell me if that thing is structurally sound, if it, spends, if it wants to warp or it doesn't. And, um, you know, we check before and after. Was it warped already after all our cooking? Um, and, you know, did it warp in our abuse? That's going to give you a sense of how that thing is going to last over years in your kitchen and under difficult circumstances. If someone does run it under the tap, it doesn't get wrecked. Um, and, you know, I have to say, I bought the pan where I could barely see a dent and it didn't work. I went and got that one for myself because that's what I want in my kitchen and that's what I want for everybody else, too. Bashing it on the concrete sounds like what I've done when I've been frustrated before. <laughs> well, it seems a little extreme, but, you know, it's a way to get at yeah. that question very quickly. <laughs> and I also hand wash everything in between. Or if it says it's dishwasher safe, we'll dishwash it. Um, I once did a story on food storage containers, and they did all kinds of storage and staining and leaking tests and submerged it to see if any air and water got into it. And, and then at the end, I, I dishwashed it. I dishwashed all of the containers 52 times, um, which, you know, took a week. <laughs> and then I did all the tests again. And we really wanted to know, is this thing going to hold up? Is it going to stain? Will it break? Uh, we opened and closed all the containers 100 times. I had I put fish in there over a weekend and then washed them and had oh, people boy. smell them. <laughs> so we will do whatever it takes to figure out what product is the best for for people to use in their kitchen so they won't be disappointed. Holiday cooking is is coming up. A lot of people, you know, maybe this is uh, one of the few times a year that like people are coming over. They're trying to not just impress their family, but basically just get the job done. Are there a couple of go-to pieces that every kitchen really needs to have and would be the most useful? Well, yeah, you're right. This time of year, people really will start cooking or ambitiously invite their whole family over and say, I'm going to do the holiday dinner. And then they're like, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> um, <laughs> one thing I would say is that, well, first off, get a good thermometer. Um, so we love an instant read thermometer that you put in and it reads in one second by Thermoworks. It's called yes. a Thermopen. And we also like Thermoworks's um, chef's alarm, chef alarm it's called. It's a probe thermometer. So you can stick the probe in the meat, snake this wire out of your oven, and then have the readout outside. And you can put an alarm on it so it will go off when it hits the right temperature and you set that, what you want to know. And that way you won't overcook or undercook. That's the worst, I think, when you either 
if you rely on those little plastic pop-ups on a turkey, that's just going to be dry. They set that at this temperature that's so high that if you cook until that pops up, you're guaranteed dry old turkey. Which is <laughs> so sad, you know, after all that work. So you want to know what, you know, you want to know what's going on in the oven. Every time you open the oven, all the heat goes off and, you know, out the door and then it has to heat up again. And so you're kind of throwing chaos in there. It's great to have the probe on the outs, you know, outside so you can see what's happening. It's also great on the grill. So, you know, it's not a one time only for the holidays. Um, if you want to grill low and slow and not open that grill all the time, same issue. You don't want to let all the heat out so you can see what's going on without opening it. And really, it's also great for deep frying. <laughs> anyway, I recommend a thermometer so you know what you're doing and you're in control. I do love my thermopen. I'll have to get that uh, chef's alarm and check it out. Well, there's so many great tips from America's tip three two. So many great tips from America's Test Kitchen. The new book is Kitchen Gear: The Ultimate Owner's Manual. We've been chatting with gadget expert. One of the hosts of uh, the popular Gearheads YouTube show. My guest is Lisa McManus. Lisa, this was fun, and thank you so much for calling in today. Well, thanks so much for having me. And welcome back to The Big Wake Up Call. I'm Ryan Gatenby, and time to get to my next guests. November is National Family Caregivers Month, and it's commemorated by organizations like the Parkinson's Foundation. And this is when we honor the hard work by families and friends who are helping to care for people with Parkinson's. This year, here to discuss it, we have uh, John Lear, who is president of the Parkinson's Foundation, along with Gil Kim, who is the primary caregiver for his wife, who is diagnosed with Parkinson's more than a decade ago. And uh, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Good morning. Now, John, I have to say this is a momentous occasion in that uh, you are now a member of our Five Timers Club. Oh, wonderful. Glad to be glad to be a part of that club. So you get the uh, either the coffee mug or the commemorative T-shirt. Just let me know, and we'll we'll get that out to you. Okay, we'll do. <laughs> John, here we are. It's uh, National Caregivers Month. Why is it so important we take this time to recognize caregivers? Yeah, you know, one million Americans are are living with Parkinson's disease, and uh, each year, ninety thousand individuals are newly diagnosed. And so, every six minutes, when there's a new diagnosis of Parkinson's, it means that somebody in the family is likely becoming a care partner for the first time. Um, Parkinson's is a very challenging disease. Um, it's a progressive degenerative disease, which means that it gets worse over time. So what that often means for the care partner is that their roles and responsibilities in caring for their loved ones is going to increase over time. Um, and so we take this time this month to recognize the great work that they do, um, to encourage them, and to, you know, occasionally offer a helping hand to ease their burden as they're caring for somebody who's living with Parkinson's disease. And then, Gil, we have many listeners, I'm sure, who are caregivers for a loved one. What What is some important uh, advice you give for caregivers to remember? Sure. Uh, my wife, Jenna, was diagnosed with a Parkinson's uh, life change, not all at once, but over time. Mm -hmm. When your loved one gets a Parkinson's diagnosis, you will spend a lot of time learning about the, I call it, nasty disease, 
and understanding how to take care of a loved one. Being a caregiver is a role that you grow into. It does not have to replace any existing role. I'm a husband, father, grandfather, retired engineer, and now I'm a care partner too. My responsibility as a care partner have evolved over time as my wife Parkinson has evolved. It can become overwhelming. In the beginning, I basically just provide more support for my wife. Today, she relies more on me to help with the effect of our Parkinson's. One thing for sure, care partners need to take care of themselves, physically, mentally, and emotionally. For me, that looks like going to the gym regularly, having lunch with the friends, and being involved with a faith family for spiritual connection. Remember, take care of yourself so you can take care of your loved ones. And that's something we don't hear a lot and the importance of taking care of yourself both mentally and physically so you, you can be there, so, so you are the most present in, in your loved one's life. Absolutely, absolutely. John, what are some common misconceptions we hear about Parkinson's? Yeah, I think um, a lot of people uh, look at Parkinson's disease and they think this is a disease that's, you know, uh, you know kind of the end of life. Um, you know, it is a challenging disease. I want to be clear about that. And it's progressive, so it gets worse over time. But people with Parkinson's can live a really good life. Um, and, you know, the keys to that are good quality of life. The keys to that are, um, first of all, taking taking your medications on time and being compliant with that, um, living a good, healthy lifestyle, eating well, getting to bed and uh, and good at, at a good time. Um, exercise is critically important to Parkinson's. And then lastly, I would say having a great care partner network, you know, a great care partner in the first place, but a network of other people who can step in when your care partner needs a spell or a little bit of a respite. Gil, what are some ways to help? Like, for an example, what, what do you do as, as part of your role uh, as a caregiver? Ryan, uh, I'd like to emphasize to you, your radio uh, listeners, you got to find the people that will support you. Mm-hmm. That could be your friends, family, church members, or support group, or sometimes a paid caregiver. In the Parkinson community, they're just saying, if you know one person with a Parkinson, you know one person with a Parkinson. Meaning Parkinson affects each person differently, and it changes differently. Having a strong support system gives you access to others who have faced a similar situation who can be with you through the difficult times. It can help eliminate uncertainty and minimize the stress for care partners and their families. Remember, this can be a long and often demanding journey. You cannot do it alone. A strong support network is critical for your own well-being and the well-being of your person with a Parkinson's. And the Parkinson Foundation provides a wealth of a resource to meet the care partner's needs. Gil, I love what you said there, and we hear caregiver. I like care partner a lot because, you know, it really shows that you're, you're both in this together. Absolutely. Yeah, care partner, uh, it's a, uh, uh, the funny thing is uh, when I used to use a caregiver, and uh, my wife told me that she knows how to take care of herself, you are the care partner, and she corrected me early on. John, are there other details about Parkinson or, or care partners we should be aware of? Yeah, you know, I, I'd like to, you know, people have questions about Parkinson's disease or want to learn more how to be a great care partner to their to their loved one. I'd encourage people to go to our website, which is parkinson.org. 
Uh, that's Parkinson.org. And if anyone has questions about the disease and they want to talk to somebody in person, we have a helpline, a toll-free helpline, and that's 1-800-4-PD-INFO. That's 800-4-PD-INFO. And uh, that's staffed by a team of specialists who are experts in Parkinson's care and can share resources and, and direct people to important uh, areas for more information. And we have been visiting with John Lear, who is president of the Parkinson's Foundation, and Gil Kim, who is uh, the primary care partner for his wife. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Ryan. We appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan.